Hey, so if you have a, a Bible, grab your Bible and turn to Isaiah 9. That's in the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament. Uh, we started a conversation last week, and I want to continue it this week. And kind of as you're getting your Bible open and get a piece of paper to take some notes, let me tell you, here at the Norton Campus this week, exciting weekend, uh, we had several families, parents come for what we call parent commissioning. They brought their kids and they wanted to say our commitment in front of our church family is to raise our kids in a way that would turn the lights bright on Jesus, to point them to Jesus. And so be praying for some of those families as we uh, this weekend celebrate them and pray for them and walk with them through it. Uh, depending on when you're watching this, uh, if you're watching this on Sunday, there's about 19 days till Christmas. Can you believe that? 19 days till Christmas. Let me ask you a little participation. I can see you, right? Uh, raise your hand like if you're already totally decorated for Christmas. How many of you? To some of you are totally decorated. Uh, I'm curious how many of you, when you think about decorating for Christmas, you would say, I'm a minimalist. You're like, I just put up the minimal, a tree, and maybe a few decorations. And then how many of you decorate, go all out outside, and you have everything decked out in your yard and lights around the house? Uh, I'm curious about this. How many of you have your Christmas decorations up because you left them up from last year? Anybody? Yeah. Go ahead. Be honest. Confession, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but like, uh, I love Christmas decorations. I just don't like decorating that much, right? Uh, I don't know how you feel about your decorations, but it feels like to me, like my lights have a life of their own, a mind of their own, right? You put them away at the end of the year, you put them all nice and neat in the tote or the box, and you think, man, it'll be easy to get out next year. And it's almost like they do a dance and have a party all year long, right? Because by the time you got to get them out, they're all tangled up, and you can't figure out how to unknot them. You put them up, and inevitably what happens? You get them all strung up and one of them doesn't work, therefore they all don't work and you gotta start all over. That is exactly why I love at Christmas time driving around and seeing other people's lights. It's like one of my favorite things at Christmas. I love that they go to all the hard work to decorate so that I can come and enjoy it, right? I was reading about this guy in Arizona and uh, you can go on and check it out. I think his name is uh, David Preston. And he lives in Arizona and uh, you can kind of YouTube, but his house, this is his house, man. This is a house I'd want to go see at Christmas time. Uh, I was reading about 300,000 lights. 300,000 lights. It takes him and a handyman over one month, dedicated time, just to get this display up. And as you can imagine, there's music to this and people can pull up, dial their station to a certain uh, radio station and listen to the music, synchronized with the lights. Love that, right? 300,000 lights. Uh, I also heard that it is on a flight path. Man, I'm surprised an airplane hasn't like mistaken it for an airport, right? But it's fat. I love that kind of stuff, right? Uh, we love the decorations. We love the lights. We love that. And it's one of the reasons we love Christmas because these virtual light shows, they show up in the season where the days are the shortest and the nights are longest. Think about that. So, so it makes sense that we love light shows at Christmas time. And, and one of the things that reminds us is light distracts us from darkness. I want you to remember that, write that down somewhere. That, that light, a lot of times, distracts the darkness. And for some of us, that becomes a metaphor for life. Christmas, for some of us, the season of Christmas, is a distraction from the darkness. Maybe the darkness of our world, or maybe it's the darkness that holds our own soul hostage. But, but I hear people say this, you know, I'm glad it's Christmas, it's a good distraction for me. 
And Christmas becomes a distraction from the darkness that we see around us, from the darkness we feel inside of us. And when you get to Isaiah, Isaiah 9, that's exactly what's going on. Like these are real people. There's not a lot new under the sun. In fact, we read this verse last week in Isaiah 8 in the context. It says, they will look toward the earth and see only, here's the word, distress and darkness and fear filled gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Uh, when, when Isaiah's writing this, things were dark. People were ignoring God in this particular situation, thinking they knew better than him. Uh, their leaders had no integrity. They were accepting bribes. Even their pastors were leading them astray. Uh, their religious gatherings were so hollow and so empty and so disturbing to God that God called their church services detestable. Like, why don't you just stop? It's like, it's so detestable. Uh, the fear had overcome. There was anxiety. What was going to happen to them? The nation was polarized. Talked about that last week. The Assyrian army in the shadow, the encroaching uh, Assyrian army was right on their doorstep. There was disillusionment. There was division. There was disagreement, distress. And the national mood was gloom, gloomy. And so what people did, they did what we do. What? They, they did what anybody would do. In the middle of the darkness, you got to find distraction. And when you read the book of Isaiah, you see they found distraction. Uh, one of the ways they did it, women began to plaster themselves with all kinds of bling and makeup. It's like seducing men and finding their significance in that. Men were partying from sunup to sundown and beyond, right? Arrogance was rampant. Everybody was opinionated, thought that the way they saw life was right consulting mediums, even the dead, to figure out what to do. It was dark. It was dark. It was distressing. It was depressing. People were trying to distract the gloom mood of the moment. And into that is Isaiah 9. And it's so poignant because this, I want you to remember this, Christmas can either be a moment of distraction in our dark experience or, or it can be a message that defeats the darkness of our moment and the darkness in our soul. Let's say that again. Christmas can either just simply be a distraction. I love that it comes every year. It just distracts me from the darkness going on around me. It distracts me from thinking about the things inside of me. Or Christmas can be a message that defeats the darkness, both around me and inside of me. Uh, that's what you get when you get to Isaiah 9. Look at this. It says this. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom. That's the hope. God likes to help those who've lost their way. For those who are in distress, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. It's like light's going to come into the darkness, but that light, what is that light? Well, look what he says, verse 6. Thus a child is born. The light is a child. A son is given. We talked about that last week. And the government will be on his shoulders. And then he says this, that light has a name, that child has a name, that son has a name. And the difference on how I view Christmas, either as a distraction or a defeating message, uh, it revolves around whether or not I recognize the child who is to be called Wonderful Counselor. Talked about that last week. If you, if you didn't tune in, I would go back and check that out. He's the Wonderful Counselor. He's the Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Uh, I said I wanted to just take one of these per week, and, and, and what we're saying is this, is that if Jesus in our life, if I don't recognize Jesus, the one who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, if he's simply a Christmas mascot, 
in my life, then here's what's going to happen. Then he's going to be a decoration among other decor. He's going to be a sidebar to my celebration of Christmas. He's going to be a story among other Christmas stories. Uh, let me even say this. this might, he's going to be just another form of Santa Claus. Like, like he's going to be another form, he's going to be a means to my ends. Christmas then will simply be a distraction among other distractions. But if he is the mighty God, like Isaiah said, if, if the child is Jesus and he is the mighty God, then in him lies the message that can defeat darkness and reorder my life. Let's unwrap this for a few minutes and, and make some implications. All I want to do for the next few minutes is look at the name Mighty God because he said he shall be called Mighty God. And when you think about Mighty God, it's the Hebrew, the way this would have looked in the Hebrew Bible is El Gabor. Try that. Just say it out loud, right? Impress your friends, right? El Gabor. I think I'm saying that right, and however you say it, but El Gabor. And it's interesting because that tells us something about what I think Isaiah, namely then God through Isaiah, is trying to tell us about Jesus. The first thing that's interesting is that word L sticks out because L is, anytime you see that in the Hebrew, it's kind of pointing to God, Elohim. When you see the word L, Israel wrestles with God. Beth El, house of God, right? And, and, and so it tells me that this child is the mighty God. It's important. And the reason it's important is this. I want you to stay with me. When Isaiah's writing this, he says, the child that, 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 that's going to be born, that's going to bring light into this dark moment, that's going to free from the mood of gloom, he is mighty God. And the reason that's important is because there were some in Isaiah's day who thought that was going to be fulfilled with the child uh, that, that would eventually become the king whose name was Hezekiah. King Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, was a good man. He was a good leader. He was a good king. Let me say this again. Hezekiah, some thought, well, maybe he's the one this is talking about. He was a good king, a good leader, a good man, did good things. But he was not, listen close, he was a good man, but he was not a God man. He was not a God king. That's why Isaiah says earlier in Isaiah 2, he says, stop trusting in mere humans. There's a lesson for us here. Who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? There was a sense then, and can I just say it this way? There's a sense now that the solution to our problem and the satisfaction to our longings is somehow hidden in a human leader or an ideology or even a political platform. And, and can I say this? There can be good leaders. There can be good ideologies. There can be good political platforms. But they are at best a distraction for a time. Only a God king can defeat darkness. The darkness that confines our culture and the darkness that holds my very soul hostage. He shall be called mighty God. Isaiah's pointing to that first Christmas. And it tells me some things about Jesus. I want you to write these down. Four things today and we're done. Four things. It tells me about Jesus. He is mighty God. It tells me this, that he is my creator in the cradle. That baby that we celebrate at Christmas, he's the creator. The creator is in the cradle. The maker's in the manger. You say it however you want to say it. One of the central messages of Christmas is this. God came down. God, last week we said it this way. God came down the steps. Uh, the, the big word 
The big word for that, you can write this down somewhere, is incarnation. Incarnation. This is the, 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 uh, the idea that God wrapped himself in flesh, that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's incarnation. We sing about it, right? Some of the songs that you like reference this. Uh, you ever heard the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Uh, one of the verses go like this. Uh, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. He's wrapped in flesh. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. The, the infinite God as an infant. The infinite God as an infant. The, the maker of everything is now a baby in a manger. The one who is deity is in diapers. Just, I mean, it's just you, however you want to say it. Uh, there's a more modern song uh, you may be familiar with, maybe not. Uh, the name of it is Arrival. And I love the way they, uh, like, like they word this. Listen to this. It's called, the name of the song is called Arrival, and it says, Who is God that he would take our frame, the artist inside the paint? Or breathe the very air his breath sustains, the architect came inside the plan. O come, hail his arrival, the God of all creation. Royalty robed in the flesh he created. Jesus the maker has made himself known. All hail the infinite God. It goes on to say this, the one who had no start and knows no end became confined in time and tense. The everlasting God, the great I am in the mercy of a mother's hand. The one who holds the stars in the creases of his hands is the one who holds my heart like a mother once held him. The one who knows what lies where space has run its course embraced the baby's mind and now I can know my God. All hail the arrival of our maker. God embraced our frame when he graced the world he made. All hail the divine in a manger. Love embraced our fate. Listen, when the playwright took the stage. It's incarnation. Mighty God. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is God. Now, last week we said this, that Jesus, we talked about this, is God empathizing with us. Because God became a man, we have a God who understands us. But there is something way more profound I want to show you today. Uh, hold your, your Bible open to Isaiah 9 and flip to the New Testament to John's version of the Christmas story. Now, it's not as familiar. No wise men, no shepherds, right? <laughs> no, no angels. But John wants to make this point. And in John 1, he tells his version of the Christmas story, and it goes like this. Maybe you've never read it before. I don't know. Look what it says. In the beginning was the Word. Remember that. And the Word was with God. Got it? Word in the beginning. Very beginning of God's story. And Word was with God. And then he says this. And the Word, what? Was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then he goes, verse 14, he says, the Word. Which Word? The Word that was. The Word that is. He became flesh. He's talking about Jesus, incarnation, and made his dwelling among us, literally pitched his tent among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. Like the, the scripture makes no bones about it. Jesus is God in the flesh and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. I write this down somewhere that when you think about our creator and the creator, when Jesus came, Jesus is God explaining himself to us. Honestly, you want to know, wonder what God's like? Look at Jesus. 
You ever have somebody in your life, you're like, I just don't like that person, but you never met them? <laughs> you, ever, you ever have somebody like that? Like maybe hear things about them or somebody told you stories, but like, I just don't like that person because somebody told me this or that, right? There's a lot of people that, that don't like God, but they don't know much about God. And so like, I just assume God's like this or I heard God was like this. You wonder what God's like? Look at Jesus. It's fascinating because when you look at Jesus, you see God was full of grace and truth. Some of us don't like God and we don't even know the God we don't like. You can know God. In fact, here's the cool thing about Christmas. God wants to be known. God wants to be known. That's interesting. Now, now, but there's something else here that's important. So Jesus is God explaining himself to us. But, but let's go back to John 1 and let's go to verse 3. Through him, who? The word, that's Jesus, all things were made. He's the creator. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, now, now stay with me on this a minute. This sounds a little familiar. This sounds like the story you would find in Genesis 1 and 2. Sounds like creation. Jesus is the creator. And when you go to Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation story, you know what you see? God, at the very beginning, brings order out of chaos, and then he brings light into darkness. And when he brings order out of chaos and light into darkness, all of a sudden then life. You get birds and you get fish and you get animals and you get plants and you get vegetation, then you get mankind. Order out of chaos, light into darkness brings light. Listen to what I want to tell you. If Jesus is mighty God, he is the creator in the chaos. He is God bringing order to our chaos. He is God, the only one who can bring the light into our darkness that will result in real life, abundant life, eternal life. That is why this matters. Jesus is the only one who can bring order to the chaos of my life. Some of you feel that. The darkness you feel is because your life is chaos. And you're like, I don't know where to turn, what to do. I'm looking for a distraction. And into that comes the message of Christmas, the creator's in the cradle, and he is the one who can bring light to that darkness, order to that chaos in a way that would bring life in a way that's not just a momentary distraction. In your life, not just at Christmas, Jesus is either a mascot or he's the mighty God. You, you, if Jesus is the mighty God, if he's the creator in the cradle, can I tell you something? This is worth just remembering. You can't be neutral about Jesus. Let me say it this way. You can't just like Jesus. Like, he doesn't give that option. He doesn't. Like, I kind of like Jesus, good guy. Like, he doesn't give that. He's either the creator and the creator, or he's crazy. Honestly. C.S. Lewis kind of referred to that. And when Jesus came, the, the, the writer John says this, that true light, Jesus, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, he's the creator the world, the people in the world didn't recognize the one who created him. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. They rejected him. 
Yet to anyone who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, can't be neutral. He gave the right to be children of God. That's life. He brings order. Light brings life. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. If Jesus is the mighty God, then he is the creator in that cradle, that first Christmas. And he is the creator who brings order out of chaos. And here's what that means. Here's what it means. He's the only one that I can trust to bring order out of my chaos, to bring light into my darkness in a way that's going to produce the life that I'm looking for. And you know what else it tells me? I can't be neutral about Jesus. Like when I confront Jesus, I can't be neutral about Jesus, but when I recognize that he's the creator in the creator, cradle, he reorders my life. He reorders my life. Something else is fascinating about this name. He is El Gabor. Remember that? Say it again. Just want you to know a little Hebrew. El Gabor. Uh, that second part of that, Gabor, is interesting because here's what it means. Mighty, obviously, mighty God. Powerful, it means strong. It means a hero. I like that, right? A hero that's strong and mighty and powerful. Uh, we love stories of heroes, don't we? Don't you love stories? Of, do you ever notice that uh, the, the movies we love at Christmas almost always have a hero? You ever notice that? Like, what, what movie do you like? Just pick right? Rudolph, right? Hero right? Uh, the Grinch. Well, well, the villain ends up becoming the hero, <laughs> right? Uh, how about Wonderful Life? <laughs> the, the angel, right? Uh, into the darkness, into the distress. Uh, all of our favorite Christmas movies have a hero, whether they're a little reindeer with an illuminated nose, or whether they're a, a transformed Grinch, or whether it's an angel named Clarence, right? Like, they all have a hero, like, we love heroes. We, we want heroes. In fact, some of you remember this. You remember the song, some of you are my age or older, 1980s, uh, I Need a Hero, right? Uh, some of you are younger than that, just think Shrek. <laughs> you think Shrek, the song's in Shrek, right? But some of the worst this song captured me, because I went back and kind of looked it up. Uh, Bonnie Tyler, 1980s hit, uh, Where Have All the Good Men Gone? Where Are All the Gods? Where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the end of the night. He's got to be strong. He's got to be fast. He's got to be fresh from the fight. I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero. Till the morning light, he's got to be sure. He's got to be soon. It's got to be larger than life. Somewhere after midnight, my wildest fantasy, somewhere, and listen, listen to this, just beyond my reach, there's someone reaching back for me. Like, like you can hear it in, in the song. Like, there's got to be somebody. Racing on the thunder and rising with the heat, it's going to take a Superman to sweep me off my feet. Up where the mountains meet, the heavens above, out where the lightning splits the sea, I could swear that there's someone somewhere watching me. Through the wind and the chill and the rain and the storm and the flood, I can feel his approach like my fire and my blood. What a hero. That what's interesting about the Christmas story is is our movies that we watch, like they give us a hero during the Christmas season. It creates a distraction. It's like we love it when Rudolph saves the day. We love it when Clarence comes through. We love it when the Grinch transforms, and it kind of forms a distraction. But the Christmas story, Isaiah nine, he's mighty God tells me this. He is El Gabor, and that means this: that Jesus is my hero. 
and he's my hero. I would write it down this way. He's my hero rescuing me on the cross. Jesus is God rescuing me, not just from the chaos of my darkness, but from the dominion of darkness. The dominion of darkness around us that has us captive as a culture, that has my heart hostage. We're prisoners to it. We're held hostage by it. Uh, look at, just look at the screen on this. Colossians talks about this. Uh, Genesis, read Genesis 1, John 1, and Colossians 1. You'll see how those things go together. Here's what he says, Colossians 1. For he has rescued us. Love that. He's our hero. From the dominion of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what I need rescue from. Jesus is the mighty God. He goes behind enemy lines to rescue us. He enters the darkness so that he can bring us out of the darkness. We have a Messiah who ran into the mess so that we might be pulled from the mess. We have a Savior who took on our sin so that we could be saved from our sin. We have a, a wonderful Savior who is the light that infiltrates the darkness so that he might rescue us from the dominion of darkness. He goes on in Colossians, this is interesting in Colossians 2, and he says this, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. There it is, mighty God. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Well, how did he do that? He forgave us our sins. He's my hero having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And when he did that, th I love this. So, such a powerful passage. He disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the... He's the hero. He triumphed over them by the cross. Like he's my hero and the cross, we don't run a shot of feel about it sometimes. Like I feel bad for Jesus. No, th th that is Jesus going behind enemy lines. Like I, I wrote it this way in my Bible, at the cross, our hero, Jesus, kicked Satan's butt. <laughs> like he did. Like, like that's the story. He made a public spectacle of him. He triumphed over the darkness that dominates me by going into the dark encounter of the consequences. He paid the price I owe. He died the death I deserve. And when he did, he grabbed from Satan all of the things that stand against me that create a shadow of darkness, the dominion of darkness, and he nailed it to the cross. The minute that I receive and accept that and say yes to Jesus, I'm accepting what he did on my behalf. I'm saying yes to the rescue. I'm saying yes to the rescue operation of Jesus. Have you said yes to the rescue operation of Jesus? Like the cross and, and the power of the cross is our hero taking, taking upon himself all that dominates me, holds me hostage, my sin, the darkness. He's my hero. And the freedom he offers is forgiveness. I don't have to be held hostage to my sin. It's interesting. That, that's not all. It's, it's fascinating. He's my hero. Hebrews 2 says this. He says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. 
So, so darkness dominates and the devil holds the power of death, which is part of the dominion of darkness, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Like our hero went behind enemy lines and on the cross, he literally triumphed over Satan. And he freed us from the dominion of darkness, but he frees us so we don't need to be afraid of death. Jesus is the mighty God. He's my hero on the cross. And if he's the mighty God, then he's the only way out of the darkness that dominates me and holds me hostage. He is the only way for me to enjoy and experience the freedom of forgiveness that frees me to live, and I don't have to be paralyzed by the thought of death. It's interesting, isn't it? When I think about a hero, something that's interesting to me is this. I like watching documentaries. Anybody with me out there? And a lot of times when you read documentaries of heroes saving somebody, they save them and there's this moment, but then they go live their lives. And a lot of times those documentaries, they're very heartwarming and touching. They'll show the, the hero reuniting with the one that they saved. What I love about the story of Jesus is our hero who saves us stays with us. Our hero who saves us stays with us. Uh, the book of Hebrews that we were just in says it this way. We see Jesus made a little lower than the angels. That's the incarnation for a little while. Incarnation. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Talked about that. He's our hero. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Behind enemy lines. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, those who've said yes to Jesus, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Look at this. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. What's that telling me? That my hero is my brother. That Jesus is mighty God. He's El Gabor. He's my brother and my brother. He is my brother who's always with me. Raise your hand out there if you've got an older brother. Anybody? <laughs> Some of you might like, yeah, you know, man. I got an older brother, right? And, and this weekend, he's coming into town. I'm looking forward to seeing him. I'm going to spend some time with him this weekend. and um, going to have a good... I had a good older brother. Love my older brother. Thankful for my older brother. You know, I, I remember growing up, my older brother, for me, would give courage to me. I remember in the fourth grade, in the fourth grade, uh, for a variety of reasons, I had to go to the special school, right? And uh, uh, so I had to ride the high school bus in fourth grade. And uh, so I was going to be the only fourth grader, the only elementary kid on this high school bus. And I remember I was scared to death. And I remember my dad told me, he said, don't worry, you're what? Your, your, your brother's going to be with you. My brother's older than me. And, and so I was going to get on the bus. I was little, but I was okay. Why? Because my brother was with me. Like I had an older brother. So, so I had somebody who could defend me. I had somebody who, who everything that he experienced that I was eventually going to experience, I got to watch him go through first. Like, it was kind of helpful to me. And I remember thinking that. I'm like, oh, wow, so that's what that's going to be like. He went to middle school first. Like, oh, that's what that's going to be like. He went to, what should I watch out for? What teachers are you? Know, he went through for me. He went through it first. I had this built-in companion, right? I mean, he was older than me, and we kind of hung out together. I had a good, 
I had a good older brother. I'm thankful for my lots of good memories. I had a good older brother. He wasn't a god brother. Can I just say that? <laughs> like, like, like he, he was, he was a normal brother. He wasn't a god brother. I remember one time uh, we were out doing something we shouldn't, and I, I just want to hang out with my brother and his 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 friends. Like I loved hanging out with my brother, hanging out with the older brother and his friends, and they were all older than me. And uh, one night after church, we lived by a road, pretty busy traffic, and there's two big pine trees, and we'd go between those two big pine trees. The road was right there, and uh, and, and they taught me to do this. <laughs> but we got in the wintertime, we'd make snowballs, and we would throw them at cars passing by, and trucks, and see if we could hit them, right? And man, we, used to, we did it all the time, at nighttime. You know, after whatever church service went on, we, we got and throw snowballs and, you know, scare people. It's dangerous. Don't do it. If you're a kid watching this, do not do it, right? But never did it dawn on me that somebody might stop. And I'll never forget, I'm out there with my brother, so I feel this courage, man. I'm just chucking snowballs. I feel cool that I'm accepted. I'm chucking snowballs, and all of a sudden, this car, the brakes screech, and it stops and pulls alongside the road. And it felt like out of that car, there was like 20 young adults that got out of that thing. I remember my eyes got so big, I paralyzed in fear. But I thought, I'm here with my brother. And I turned around, and my brother and all his friends were gone. <laughs> As these young adults were chasing, right? And I thought to myself, where's my brother, right? And my brother's a good brother, but he was not a God brother. But in Jesus... In Jesus, we have a brother who is mighty God. The infinite almighty one is my brother. The sovereign one is my spiritual sibling. And here's what he says. In Hebrews 13, never will I leave you, even if you're chucking snowballs at cars. <laughs> never. I'm not going to leave you. The hero who rescued me is my brother. And he's not going to leave me, not going to forsake you. I'm going to always claim you. So we say with confidence, now I can have confidence, the Lord's my helper. I don't need to be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You, you see, guys, this is what, what you, you've heard Aiden, myself, Adam, others say this, practicing the presence of Jesus. When I practice the presence of Jesus, I'm just acknowledging the Jesus who is constantly present. He's here. He's there. Wherever you're watching, listening, he's there. And it's remembering and recognizing his constant presence. For those who've trusted Christ as Savior, he's our brother. I know that he's my brother. He's my advocate before God. When I'm weak, he's my brother who's strong. When I'm being accused and under attack, he's my brother who's my defender. When I'm not sure what to do, he's my brother who went first. And he provides an example. He's a constant companion and friend. When I'm tired, he's my brother who's, who, who is my rest. I, and because of that, I can live with courage and contentment. You ever see the football players? They, they like to wear Philippians 4.13. You might not know what that says. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's like they think, well, I'm going to win the game, whatever. What Paul is saying there is like, whether I got a lot or a little, no matter what's going on, whatever circumstances I'm facing, I have a brother in Christ who is constantly with me. And therefore, that gives me courage, confidence, contentment. 
You see, one of the things I think these last two years has shown us, if we, can we just be honest for a second? I think these last two years have shown us that for many people, and maybe you're one who call themselves Christians, Jesus has been nothing more than a mascot. He's a mascot, or can I even go as far to say this? He's kind of another form of Santa Claus who was a means to the ends that we wanted. And Jesus is not that. And when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that's the same Paul when he says, whether I have plenty or nothing, he's the same Paul writing that from prison. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Jesus is mighty God. He's the hero that rescues. He's the creator in the cradle. And that creator, that hero is my brother. There's one more thing, though. On that first Christmas night, El Gabor slipped into skin, and on that night, El Gabor quietly entered this world as a child. They were, I read this somewhere, they were looking for a king. That first Christmas, they were looking for a king, and so they missed the child. But the same writer said this, now at Christmas, we see a child and miss that he's the king. That's interesting. A few then acknowledged the child for a king, and few now see the king who was the child. But the Bible says El Gabor is returning, and the next time he returns, it'll be different. Look at Revelation 19. Look at what it says. The very end of God's story, I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes like blazing fire. His head are many crowns, he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He, he's talking about Jesus, mighty God, El Gabor, is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. He goes on to say this, the armies of heaven following him. He's on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth, sharp, so it's like this imagery. Uh, uh, would strike down the nations. He will rule with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. El Gabor. Uh, what does that tell me? That Jesus is the creator in the cradle. He's the hero rescuing me on the cross. He is my brother who's always with me and he is my king who is gonna come. He's gonna return. He's gonna make everything new. Uh, evangelist and Christian writer Leonard Ravenhill said this, the first time he came, he entered a woman's womb and no one saw him enter. The next time he comes, every eye shall see him. The first time he came as a lamb, the next time he'll come as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The first time he came to redeem, the next time he comes to reign. The first time he came to die, the next time he comes to raise the dead. The first time he got a crown of thorns, the next time he'll get a crown of glory and of gold. The first time he came in poverty to a stable, the next time he's coming in power. The first time he came in meekness, the next time he's coming in majesty. Revelation 21 says that I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. He'll be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Next chapter says there will no longer be any curse, dominion of darkness, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. 
There will be no need. The light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. Light has a name. El Gabor. It's Jesus. And they'll reign forever and ever. Somebody uh, took a picture that was interesting to me of Christmas decorations. And uh, it was a store full of Christmas decorations. And I was looking online at this and they were just making a point of all the different variety of decorations. And I was looking it over and you can see different things, Santa Claus and um, some wooden soldiers, you know, the Nutcracker, uh, Christmas trees, lights, stars, all that. And I just kept looking and looking and it dawned on me that right down here, if you do a circle on your screen right there, you see a manger. You see Mary and Joseph and you see the nativity story. It, it is a decoration among decorations. It's a sidebar to the celebration. It's a story among all these stories. And it's an illustration of how for many Jesus has become a mascot. And what Isaiah says is he's the mighty God. And as long as Jesus is just a mascot in our life, I'm not just saying in the store, in our life, Christmas will be a distraction among other distractions. To interrupt the moments of darkness, to take our mind off the gloom for a month or two. But the message of Christmas is that he is mighty God. And if he is mighty God, he's the only one who can bring order to your chaos, light to your darkness, They'll bring life. They'll make a difference. If he is mighty God, he is the only one who can rescue you from the dominion of darkness that confines you. If he is mighty God, then he's the brother who's with you right now. And if he is mighty God, he is the king who's returning and he'll make all things new. Father, I am grateful for the message of Christmas, the power of this message. Someone listening to this needs to hear this today. Because if they were honest, Jesus has been a mascot in their life. And I pray today would be the day that they embrace the understanding that Jesus is mighty God. That they would say yes to Jesus as the only one who can save them. The only one who can bring order and meaning to their life. That they would embrace Jesus as the constant presence as they navigate life. And that it would ignite hope in them as they realize Jesus is the king who will make all things new. Thank you for the story and the message of the one who shall be called Mighty God. I pray this in his name. Amen.